Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix. We are on season two, episode four, Hard Cases. We've had certainly, you know, we've had some hard cases in, in our educational lives. <laughs> but in, uh, between me and Mr. Sapp, uh, as always, Rob Sapp is joins the program. How you doing? Doing well, just trying to stay cool. Yeah, yeah, trying to stay cool, trying to stay safe. Um, this episode was directed by L.A.D. Keen. She also directed last week's episode, uh, Hot Shots. Vulture had the ranking, no surprise, 57th of all time. This is what Vulture didn't like about this episode. They said it was too Ziggy-laden, which I completely <laughs> Ziggy! Too much Ziggy for Vulture. Ziggy! <laughs> So they didn't, they weren't feeling this episode from that standpoint. Um, the epigraph, I hear the music, I'm going to dance. That course is one Shakima Greggs in terms of her introduction back into the detail. We'll talk more about that. Um, look at this episode as a whole. And I talked about the theme or themes. And to me, it was simple. It was basically family. Uh, uncles, nephews, sons, and fathers. You saw a lot of Barksdale slash Sabaka in terms of these parallel relationships with Frank and Nick and uh, Nikki versus say Avon and also D'Angelo. So that, that was a lot. And we also got introduced to uh, Nick's father, um, Nick's father for the first time. So. It was a lot of family-oriented. It was a family-themed episode, to say the least. Opening scene, you have Frank Sabaka and Nikki. Um, Frank, of course, is staring, you know, looking out by the docks um, before he meets up with Nikki. And immediately, he basically chastises Nikki. He knows about the stolen cameras. Um, and during, I found curious about this scene is he's criticizing Nikki for stealing the cameras, but at the same time trying to justify the shit that he's doing. And he tells, tells Nikki, it's not about the money. He gets real angry. And, you know, Nikki's like, look, I need money. I'm on my ass. I need money. Um, uh, then Sabaka says, if you need money, why you come to me? And Nikki basically says, you know, yeah, big, you know, big Frank. Big Uncle Frank, you know, Queen, King of the Greeks, not King of the Greeks, but King of the Docks, so it's become, you know, taunts him a sword a little bit. In other words, he didn't want to come to him. But Sabaka says, you know, it's not about the money, it's always about the it's about the unions, it's about the ports, it's about, you know, all the shit that he is trying to justify what he does with the Greeks for. So he immediately, you know, criticizes Nick uh, uh Nikki for that, Nick for that. Also brings up the fact that he's gotten Ziggy involved in involved in, and uh, that is how we open uh, this episode. What were your thoughts on that scene? I I have specific thoughts on the scene, um, but as you were talking, something something just popped into my mind. A wondering. Um, so we we come into the docks, and at this point in time, and big time drugs money is about to enter the picture small time drug money's there but frank has been doing this for a while and so 
I wonder if there's anybody that's actually calculated like how like the like I just started thinking as you were talking, it's like how much did he have to steal in order to like one payoff to Clay Davis one time forty thousand dollars, right? Like that's kind of like the data point we have. Like what? Like how was he gener- like just not how was he just the calculation the amount? I just want like that was just my wondering. So. Um, anyways, this this opening scene completely supports your 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 thesis about family um uh uh uh, uh completely. Um obviously what Sabaka is saying is hypocritical. The 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 thought, you know, the the thing that comes into my mind automatically is, you know, uh do what I say, not what I do, right? Um, right. Which never, ever, ever, ever works, ever. Which is why, which is why it's it's such a, such you know that that's the point of it. Is you can't you can't do that. Like nobody, especially um, if you're trying to raise raise something, um, your actions speak everything. Um, and I think they, I think the the introduction of. Uh, of uh, Nick's father is the dichotomy of that eventually. Like and he'll 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 actually say lead lead up to that point. Um but uh you know also you know now in the now we have the I keep bringing up breaking bad and I will keep bringing up breaking bad because um we're we we now live in the wake of that show that just took a scalpel to the I to uh the ideal of um you know, uh, I am doing things, I'm doing bad things for the right reasons. And just took, I mean, a scalpel took it. I mean, a scalpel in terms of like, like really dissecting that and then took a chainsaw to the entire notion by the end of the, by the end of the show. And so, um, uh, Nick's reasoning's actually very tangible and very like, like we can, we can understand that. I don't have any money. I need money to live. Um, this this pie in the sky, you know, ultimately BS reason of I'm doing this for my workers union and for like all, you know, all this and there is much less tangible for the, the viewer to, to grab on with and ultimately um, hypocritical. Yeah, not only is it is it hard for the viewer to grab onto, it's hard for Nick Sabaka to grab onto. It's like Nick can't see this vision of the future of the docs. He wants his shit, he wants he can see money. So he no, I mean, damn the future like to to your point, damn the future of the docs. I'm talking about my my family's future, you right. know, damn that. And that's the problem, and that's what's problematic, and that's why I said Breaking Bad took a scalpel to that and really dissected it. That's the problem with those high moral ideals that you're going to do a bunch of bad stuff for. Um, it's something that's intangible. And by viewer, I mean everybody, not just us, but all the characters in there. None of them, nobody else but Frank has this mission in mind nobody else nobody else everybody else is just playing their part based on their relationship to frank um but he's the only one that has this high moral ideal even his brothers uh i could i can just get too deep just there so anyways we're both saying the same thing very idealistic 
very hypocritical. Nick very tangibly just wants money to survive. Yes. So we go to the prison. Um, this is, of course, the fallout of all the, of, of these deaths. You have five deaths in terms of the overdoses. You have the warden and Officer Reynolds discussing what needs to be done. Uh, Officer Reynolds clearly is like, look, in order for you to get, for this to get cleaned up, we need a we need a we need an informant. And in, in that, we need a, not only an informant, we need somebody who's, we, you have to be willing to shave some years off. So he already understands the game. Uh, the warden says, man, you basically saying you can't, drugs aren't, you can't say no to drugs in the prison or fight, the, the, fight, the fight on the war on drugs can't be fought in the prisons, then uh, it can't be fought anywhere. You know, it's not gonna be successful anywhere. Um, but Officer Reynolds is like, look, this is, you know, this is not shocking to him. He says it's very easy to get smuggled stuff in here um, in the prison. So they're going, they're kind of going over a strategy in terms of how to move forward. And of course, we'll see how this uh, plays out over the course of uh, it will play out over the course of the episode. Any thoughts on this? Um, just again, as you were talking, I was thinking. Um, so I'm going to do my regular analysis that I like to do, but I will also say I felt the plot devices and I felt the move the the plot I felt the plot movement more in this episode than any of the previous episodes. I, I, I'll keep it at what we've already done, and so. Yes, to everything that you said, um, the plan is in place, but the plan is there to get Avon back on the board. I, t I recognize that and I acknowledge that. Um, and so the setup is very, very crisp, very clean, absolutely, but it's with a very specific goal. Right, right. No question about it. Yeah, McNulty, Rawls, uh, Bunk, Russell, and Freeman. McNulty returns to the Western. He uh, speaks to Rawls, and Rawls just, you know, says nothing, <laughs> nothing to him as they're walking, as they're crossing paths, going in different opposite directions. Then he, um, of course, he's he's coming in. Then you know you have Bunk discussing Omar with them, uh, trying to you know still trying to get uh, Omar. And then basically you have uh, Landsman going back and forth with McNulty, with McNulty before McNulty basically taunts the entire unit and looks at the board of all these murders that are on uh, on the board, all fourteen of them. So you know, basically shutting Jay Landsman up. Um, quick scene, but any, any any thoughts on this scene, especially with yeah, yeah, a, a bunch of different thoughts on on this scene. Um, so. First, McNulty's just rolling up in there, and Rawls doesn't even he he's stunned at McNulty. He sees him and is stunned by his presence. Um, so almost kind of like the balls on McNulty to just be walking, walking up in there. Um, and then gives get McNulty gives him a salute and goes, Colonel, and just keeps on walking by. So McNulty's feeling his oats and feeling very good about what he's doing, which is counter to what McNulty said to his peoples then to your point jay landsman taunts him 
and McNulty immediately goes to the board, which is fine for them back and forth. But the two people who have to work that case and who will later find out the ramifications of working that case are right in front of them. Again, McNulty's not a good person. He's not a good person. And um, and this is the he's going there for a for something very specific. Um, I don't think we dive into it at this point. I'll have more to say on what he's going there specific, but he's going there to get something from from them. So if you look at it from the flip side, there's this guy who's totally screwed. Everybody in that building is walking in there to get something. And it's only, oh wait, is this the past the folder moment? Or is that in this, this, this scene? Uh, that might be let down the road. I don't okay. know. So, I, so I'll pause right there. So McNulty's not a good person. That's that's why I wanted to draw out of of this of this scene, and like not even a, like not a good person in like the oh that's just Jimmy being Jimmy kind of not good person. Um, he's not a good person. <laughs> he's not a good person. I'll, I'll connect. I'll keep connecting back to this scene as we as we keep going as we go by, go by, go go through the uh, episode. So. You have Burrell and Daniels um, speaking uh, in Burrell's office. We all, I mean, we all, we all know uh, based on the previous episode that Burrell is under pressure from um, from Valchek to get uh, to get his detail to get the, or to up to upgrade the detail. He's got a bunch of currently had a bunch of humps working for him. So Burrell, you know, pitches. Um, Basically, he's trying to convince Daniels uh, to get back in the case. And they kind of go back and forth where Burrell, you know, basically states, you know, says, hey, you know, you, you're a snake, but basically called him a good snake, um, but I value you. Um, Daniels has said, he already says, you know, I'm putting, you know, I'm putting in my papers. Then Burrell gives him, you know, throws a hook at him. And says, "Hey, yeah, you know, you can put that off and go out with a major's on a major's uh, pension, and that kind of um, that kind of you know piques uh, Daniels's uh, interest as well as the fact that Daniels um, is, is you know for the first time with those two is somewhat in a position of power." What are your thoughts on this scene? Uh, I absolutely love this scene. I love this scene. Um, there's a lot that's going on. There, there's a lot that's going on in terms of what the actors are doing um, in this scene. There's, there's no hidden be underneath message that's going on. It's just how um, they're playing it against each other. Um, it's a negotiation that's going on, first off. Um, and what the character Burrell's trying to do um, and an actor plays it so perfectly is at first he's trying to uh, 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 play it like um, he's doing Daniels a favor um, without trying to reveal why. Daniels is feeling him out at first and so he's not buying into like, oh, because basically Daniels' initial point is why are you doing any of this? 
Like, I'm not, I've not been loyal to you. I've not followed any of your directions. This is not how anybody gets anything in this department. And you buried me in the basement. Why is any of this happening? And so Burrell is trying to not reveal that Valachek. Valachek wants him. And then it dawns on Daniels as they are going, as they're doing this back and forth. Valachek asks for me by name. And then once he says that, Burrell has to admit it. And then, to your point, now Daniels knows he's in pole position. He knows he's in pole position at that point in time. And then um, Daniels starts to hammer him in terms of, like, some of his wants and needs and, like, different things like that. And Burrell has to try to figure out how, like, the actor Burrell, the actor and the character Burrell have to try to figure out how do I still maintain my position of authority, even though I'm in the weaker negotiating position? And so it was just fantastic to watch because that's how real, that's real life. That's how those conversations go. That's how different conversations and negotiations go all the time. So it was, it was very cool to see these two characters do it. And then particularly at the time um, and in television history, you don't really get to see two black men of power, like just have a conversation like that. Like, we're not talking about slavery. We're not talking about, you know, injustices of the system and all those different uh, ploys that always get put into us. These are two men in a position of power in their particular organization or position of authority in those particular organizations, um, dueling it out, using their verbal wits and their mental wits. So it was just very, very cool to watch. Yeah, um, one thing I didn't mention, you uh, took care of, took care of it. That Daniels, Daniels, it didn't take long for Daniels to sniff out everything that that Burrell was trying to do. Because it didn't make sense. It didn't logically make sense to him. Yeah, yeah, it, he, he sniffed out his whole plan basically. And Burrell was trying to be like, yeah, you are a snake, but uh, uh <laughs> like no, Daniels was like, no, that's not how things go in this department. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a great. That was a. It's a great. It was a. That was a great. It was a great. Well, well played. Just a great scene from both actors. Um, you have McNulty in the evidence room um, downstairs, and where Daniels used to be, um, looking at the pic. He has a picture of the dead girl, so he's trying we, to. Pick we did out. miss the folder, by the way, in the yes, in the other. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. So you can go. You can definitely speak okay. on that. Because he did. Keep going. Describe the scene. I'll, I'll go back. I'll so go back. He, um, he's in the evidence room with the picture of the dead girl, trying, you know, looking for connections to the, to, to try to find connections to that case or connections in terms of trying to find her out. Now you can go back to the the folder that he went through in the uh, when he was back at the Western with with Bunk and Freeman. Yeah. So. The reason that McNulty's there is because he wants to get the folder that has information on that they collected from the crime scene of his girl that was found in the found in the lake. And like he said in the last episode, he was going to try to get her name. I'm putting in air quotation marks. Um, uh, so he's trying to get her name. I'll I'll go through the episode why why I think it's bullshit. But um, but uh, but so um bunk in a previous scene where um mcnulty go like gives the jab to landsman about oh you guys have all this um all the all the uh dead girls that are all the jane does um mcnulty goes 
asks for the folder, and it's Freeman who actually has all the folders. Um, B.D. Russell tells him it's Freeman that has all the folders. And Freeman starts to hand McNulty the folder on his floater, and Bunk grabs it and says, um, and says, oh, no, no, you still owe me Omar. Omar, yeah. Um, and, and holds on to the folder, like, where, where's, where's Omar, Jimmy? Um, and so I, I was going to bring that up in the, the other scene to just be like, you know, just, just another point of illustration of um, Jimmy's coming in there asking for something, and he hasn't even given the base of what Bunk has asked him for a long, long time ago. Now, let's fast forward to this scene where uh, McNulty is, um, is looking, is, is using the folder to look look for look for more information for the the dead the dead girl now my opinions on motive um as as to why but this is further set up but i just wanted to call back to that folder yeah yeah that he like clearly was trying to get something out of it without even he wasn't even thinking about giving them giving bump not Freeman so much, because this has, this has nothing to do with Freeman. No, no, no. Freeman just had the vote. He had the five. But he wasn't even, he hadn't even given thoughts about about giving Bulgaria or Omar. <laughs> I mean, and in of itself, it's not a big thing, right? We we all have friends. We all ask our friends for things all the time. Like, that's that's not, and this is even professional. He's asked for a file for a case. Nothing in of itself, nothing wrong. Just combined with everything that happened in that scene. He's walking in to a department who he screwed over, um, further inciting the the colonel who has direct impact on his peoples. Um, when uh, Landsman attacks him, he retaliates. But the thing he's retaliating about is making a, his his his. Um, mentor and closest friend and somebody else he supposedly respects making their life a living hell. And then he asks for something. And then Bunk is like, wait, where's that thing you got me? So it just built into the scene, it just further illustrates how much of a bad person McNulty is. Just a genuinely bad human being. Yeah. So you have uh, D'Angelo in prison, he's a uh, very quick scene as he is overhearing the talk about the spike package um, over it. He, he's in this prison. He was in his cell. There are prisoners out, the prisoners, inmates who are outside talking about what, you know, it was spiked. I believe it was spiked with some uh, rat, poison. rat poison. Yes, it was spiked with rat poison. So he immediately. This, you know, immediately gets um, certainly his will spinning, and we'll see how that play, we'll see how it plays out. This is this was clearly a setup scene in terms of how it's yep. going to play out play out over the course yep. of that. So, um, Ziggy and Nick at the bar. So they're at the bar. This is of course after, well after the conversation that Nick has had with with, with Frank. Uh, he tells Ziggy that you know Frank knows. Ziggy wants to know, well, how do you know? And of course, Horse Face told him he, and explains to him how close they are. So there was no, no way that Horse Face wasn't going to tell Frank. And then, you know, you see Ziggy pulling out, pulling out money as he's telling him basically not to flash any cash around. Ziggy pulls out a lot of money, then puts it back in his pocket. And then you see Ziggy playing with the camera. 
uh, Nick has no clue in regards to this camera, which which is telling to me because it just shows you Nick how limited Nick is. Not in terms of how he's saying he's dumb, but just you know, just he's a man of he just knows about ships and the docks. Um, Ziggy's the one you know from the technical standpoint. I know about with the technology uh, from that standpoint. So. He tells Nick. He tells Nick about Nick. Tells Nick. He tells Nick about the camera that you can. You don't need. You know. You can take a picture and put it on the computer. Um, and then of course we see Ziggy be Ziggy, and take a uh, take a dick pic in, inside in the bar. A um, few things going on in this um, in this scene, and definitely some foreshadowing as far as he Nick telling Ziggy not to flash any cash not to do anything, not to flash any cash or not to or not to buy anything big that will draw attention because Frank knows. What are your thoughts? Right. Right. So here's my big wondering about that scene. And so this, this is the part that you have to remember in that. Um, Nick has the money and he gives the money to Zig in the right. bar. Right, right. He's giving him the payoff. Why would he do that? Why would you do that? You know your cousin. You yeah. know how he is. Yeah. Why would you? Why would you do that? And so that's that's what I say when I mean I can feel the plot divide. I can feel the movement of the reason why he does that is because they need to further show the point that you're you're talking about and what is illustrating. The writers need to show that. Show it to me. Don't tell. Show it to me. Don't tell. Tell me by making. As you pointed out, Nick has been defined as the smarter character, and yet that's not a very smart move. That does that does that's inconsistent with what we've seen of the character. So the right. only reason to do that is to make it a point in the episode and in future episodes. Um, and so that's what I mean by like plot device. That's what I mean. I can feel what the writers are doing which is never what you want as a viewer. You don't want to feel what the writers are doing. You want to emotionally, emotionally react. Um, with that being said, uh, you know, it, it, it will further um, illustrate a couple things, this moment right here. A, Ziggy's self-destructive obliviousness, and then something that I'll connect back to also the Frank thing, and there's a scene that I like, and it actually might be in the later seasons of The Wire. I can't even remember. But, um, but the characters are talking, and it is, another, it is actually a further scene in this season. Now that, now that I'm further thinking about it. So let me, let me zoom out of that. But, um, but the character says, I see that he took the money. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to. You can talk all this ish about you don't you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and this and that da, 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 but he took the money and in this scene when he tells Ziggy Frank knows about it and he's like well like he was like I told him how much the cameras and then eventually stopped yelling and that's ultimately what like that's ultimately what undercuts all of Frank's glorious arguments is that he took the money and that's ultimately what this then becomes about between um, Ziggy, Nick, Frank, and the Greeks. It's, it becomes about what the money is and not 
why we're doing it or the consequences. And to your point, that will play further and further on. And so this scene is a bit of a genesis of that. So we have McNulty back at his back at his place. Um, I don't know about you, but I've 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 rarely gotten four voice messages on my phone that were all bad. So McNulty gets a message about missing a dentist appointment. He gets a second one from Bunk, just you know, banging on about Omar. He gets a third one from his wife about the, about the kids, and he gets a fourth one from Eileen Nathan about. Again, about coming up with Omar, so that's that's where that's where Mc, that's where McNulty is in life right now. Um, just you know, chasing his tail, and it, again, I, I I did not notice it the first time, but the, I didn't notice it the number of times that I watched this uh, episode in past. But uh, he really got four negative messages on his answer machine, which I which I don't think was by certainly not by accident. What are your thoughts? Also, the visual cue of the place that he's living, that yeah, he's living. Yeah, he's, all of the, all those things are meant to do two things, right? Like it's meant to show that McNulty's ultimately lost being on the boat, right? And so we're supposed to be sympathetic, empathetic to the character because he's 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 without his passion. Um, the second thing is for us to show is to show like the the dire straits with which his life is also which is also in by what you're saying like those 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 uh voice messages um again uh show me don't tell me um and uh like everything everything you're listing is 1000% on point but it's too obvious um the wires the wires writing up until this point has been so much better than this um, and so, uh, everything, yep, we got exactly what we were supposed to get out of that scene, and they beat us over the head with it to make sure we got exactly what we were supposed to get out of that scene. Go to Nick and Amy. They are in Nick's parents' basement. So she spent the night, um, in a, basically, I'm assuming, like, a twin bed. Uh, they don't know. Not they. His, his parents, of course, don't know that she's down there. It's just something that, you know, seemingly has been going on for a while now. <laughs> that uh, Because they had a system, well, he had a system saying, you know, once they, she got put her clothes on and once he, you know, once he got dressed, you know, sneak out the back, I'll meet you around, the, I'll meet you around the back. Uh, of course, she, she doesn't understand why, as, you know, them having a kid, why they have to go through this. And he says his parents, you know, his parents are decent people. Um, so again, another example of poverty, another example of a, 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 you know, a reason why Nikki is doing what he's doing as far as needing money. That's another example of showing you why Nikki is, is so desperate. What are your thoughts on the scene? Yeah, I mean, like exactly. Like that. That's that's what this scene is meant to show you. He's he's got a girlfriend who he has a daughter with. Of course, this has been going on for a while. They have a daughter that's two, three years old. So um, this has been years, not just not just a matter of of minutes. Um, so you know, he's he's a young man. He he wants his own place. He wants to start a life, however that life looks. Um, doesn't want to live in his parents' basement. 
Um, and so, and so, yeah, he's pre- he's pressed for he's pressed for money. So we go back to uh, Russell Bunk Freeman. They're at the docks. They're discussing, you know, how you know how to go at the, the Stevedores. And we get a little backstory or a lot of backstory from the B. Russell character. She says uh, she used to be uh, work at the, she was a toll police and she was only making like $20,000. Then she got a, uh, she saw a posting for this port police job at $33,000 and, you know, took advantage of it. Uh, it kind of shows her not to know too much about, you know, I'm not saying about policing in general, but it, it put her in light. It put her, it, it just, you know, it it brought up, I thought those numbers were brought up for, you know, for a particular reason in regards to, she's, I mean, she's doing what she does. She's doing what she does for the money. And she made a financial decision, which is, again, no problem with that. We've all taken jobs as we advance over the course of our lives for financial reasons at times. Real, real. I, I, have, I have to stop you here, homie. Uh, Think about those numbers. It went from twenty-two to thirty-three thousand a year. Stop right. with the financial. She made the decision for fine. I mean, like we're, we're talking about debt. Remember, desperation, desperation. Yeah. So we get some backstory on her, on a little bit of backstory on her as they're discussing again how to go about um, coming at the uh, the checkers and, and the stevedores. What were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah. So this scene is the juxtaposition, right? Like it's the juxtaposition of the 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 Nick scene, which is why I had to why I had to stop stop you, um, because you can't on one end see Nick Nico's desperation and not see um, uh, uh, BD Russell's desperation. She has three kids and is by herself and was living on twenty two thousand dollars a year. If that's not desperation, I don't know what what is. Like that's an unlivable salary. Um, even back in two thousand and in five, which is what she was saying. The reason why she took the job is to support her family. Like, not because she's fucking hustling for money or something like that. Um, so it's the juxtaposition to, to it's the juxtaposition to all these other characters, particularly Nico. We know where Nico's track is. Like, I'm desperate. I need money. So what's my jump to illegal activity? Well, there is a different way. And the other way is working really hard and like figuring it out and following the law and obeying the law. And so B.D. Russell's is, is the other avatar. Like we will see where everybody else will go in their desperate, in their quote unquote, their desperate straits. And then we'll see how B.D. Russell goes in her in, in exact similar position. So she's the counterbalance to all the, the crap that the other characters are going to pull. We see uh, D'Angelo and Avon in the prison. D'Angelo goes to Avon's room. Avon, of course, is, is playing video games. Um, they, they begin, or Avon begins to discuss the next move. Um, D'Angelo clearly knows that Avon, <laughs> that Avon's like his package. He basically asked, you know, he asked him the question just because, it, like, mm-hmm. just, just, just because. I, I don't I don't know you know I don't know why he asked him question but he just you know because he, he already knew the answer to it and Avon doesn't admit to it directly he admits to it without directly admitting to it he says I you know I did as your uncle should got you off that shit so again the the mind fucking not that I killed five people I got you off those drugs so you should be you said matter of fact when he came in 
in the beginning of the scene, he says, I, I, I figured you would be thanking me for getting you off that shit. Um, and D'Angelo says, you know, you basically run this place. You knew. He says, first, first he says, I got, I got to know that you didn't do that shit. And then Avon, with the worst lie in the history of lies, I had, I had nothing to do with it. But fuck it, if you don't believe me, um, just be happy that you still stand it. So they're going kind of back and forth with this. Then the Avon breaks down the plan as far as where they're going, where they're going to take this evidence. Take, uh, you know, he says, I can get, basically told D'Angelo, I can give you Tillman's name. We can take, we can get back some of these years of, uh, of our lives, get back some of these years of our lives. And basically tells D'Angelo to, you know, stay close. You know, um, we got shit on the inside. We got shit, basically he's laid out the whole entire plan. Um, and D'Angelo basically, you know, basically, says not basically he says he you know, wants no part of it and at this at this point, at this point there's no D'Angelo has completely severed ties uh with Avon knowing that he uh killed you know killed those five dudes yes um yeah yeah I mean like the the only other I have not I mean that's one percent accurate the only thing that I have to add is just going back off of your a point at the very beginning of this a family um, the parallel between Nico and Sabaka and Avon and D'Angelo are, are, um, right here to be enjoyed. Um, you know, as, as his, as like what D'Angelo immediately sniffs out is the bullshit, right? Like Avon, like as your uncle, I thought you'd be, uh, 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 uh I thought you'd be grateful. Yeah. Grateful. Um, you know, no, no, you did this for you. Stop. Um, and then, uh, basically Avon's like, is Avon's like, it doesn't matter who did it, why, why it happened, everything is basically what, that's his pitch. It's basically what we, what we're going to get out of this, out of this situation. And to D'Angelo, it very much matters who did it and why they did it. Um. Just like with with Nico, it very much matters about I need money to survive. Um, and so the uncles in both of these cases are thinking about this big, huge picture and both of their nephews are saying, nah, I need the immediate thing in front of me. And neither one is willing to give it to them because, of course, it's not about them. It's not about the nephews. It's about them. Yeah, yeah. So we go to McNulty. Um, he's looking for Omar. He drops the card, drops his card off um, where Omar's van was burnt. And this is again, this is Omar's territory. And this is this we saw this back in season one when they when when, uh, when uh, McNulty needed to get to Omar, where he would drop the card off. Remember, this is the surveillance, not surveillance van, but this was the van that, that was burned up by uh, Weebay and, and Stinkham in the early, like in the middle or late in season one. Uh, so he's on the hunt, not sure on the hunt, but he's looking uh, looking for Omar. Once Omar to basically wants Omar to know that he, uh, that he wants, that he needs to get to him. Um, quick scene, but any thoughts on it? I mean, it's, it, he's on the hunt because Bunk needs him. And Eileen left that message on a voicemail. Like, the case is coming up. They need to depose the witness. And she says in that voicemail, like, I only took on this thing because you said you had an eyeball witness. 
So this is something McNulty promised to people. So yeah, he needs to be out looking. Yes. Yeah, no, the heat. Yeah, the heat. The pressure's on McNulty to to get to. Uh, no, 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 no pressure. He promised this. There's difference, but I mean, like, I guess that's internal pressure. But you promised this to people. You pushed this entire thing through. You don't get to then feel uncomfortable <laughs> because people are like, "Where's the thing you said you were going to do? Deliver on." I guess so, I said, the pressure's on him to deliver. That's it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's nice. Internal pressure, I guess. Self-induced. Yeah. Uh, so you have Nick, Ziggy, and uh, Nat. Nat was driving, drives Nick over on the there on the docks. Ziggy, of course. Telling Ziggy not to flash is like, I guess, be telling the kid, not, not telling a young toddler not to touch a hot stove is, you know, it's just, you know, you might as well not say anything at all because he's going to do it. Nikki comes out, not Nikki, Ziggy comes on the docks with a $2,000 leather coat. That was, that was a nice leather coat, too, by the way. That leather coat was the truth. With a $2,000 leather coat, leather coat, um, immediately Nikki, you know, you know, criticizes Ziggy for, for, you know, for flashing, but he's the one that handed him a bag, you know, a, a wad of money in the bar. So, you know, clearly hypocritical on his part. And they discuss, they discuss the next step with, um, with the Greeks, um, with the Greeks. So what were your thoughts on this scene? I wasn't, I was just going to say, I wasn't calling uh, Nico a hypocrite because he did it on the slide and just slid it, slid it to him and put it like in his pocket. So I'm not calling him a hypocrite. Um, uh, I was just wondering why the character did that. And then I was also uh, illustrating, this is what I mean when I say uh, uh, character, like plot device, like character movement. Like I, you can see, it doesn't make sense that the character would do it, that's why, but they need it to happen so that the next thing in the plot can happen. Um, so that, that Nico's, he's not a hypocrite in, in, in this circumstance. Um, and so, uh, yeah, 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 this is, this is the delicious, like for me, uh, Ziggy just being self, just, just being the self-destructive Ziggy that, that I, I know and love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, Ziggy. You know, he, you know, in a way, Ziggy wanted, he wanted everybody to see he got a leather coat. Man, like, he's got to make some money now. He wants, like, that. The Fed that's that's the on surface reason, absolutely. But the deeper, that's when I say self-destructive, that's a, that's a loaded phrase. Um, let me unpack that a little bit, particularly, like, with the Ziggy character, why, why it is that, that I enjoyed his character, is being self-destructive is when you do things that are opposite of your best interest, right? Like, um, uh, uh, and, and, and yeah, you do things opposite of your best, your best interest. And the reason why you do self-destructive behaviors, I'm thinking of my own self, but then particularly like with the character is because of some deep down hurt, some deep down trauma. Um, and, and that's that's the layers of the onion to peel back with Ziggy as you watch from this this point on is thinking about, well, what's the thing that was the trauma? I know because I've seen the entire season and I can speak on it once we get once we get to that part. But that's that I'm not going to no, 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 I'm not going to say anything about it. Um, but that's the that's the joy of watching 
what happens as this character goes along is trying to pinpoint down why is he doing the things that he's doing go way past the surface level fuck the surface level that means nothing character if you only like whoever that person was if you only view it from that surface point then you will not get any enjoyment out of this character but there is a there there is a reason why they consistently show him doing the things he does throughout the entire show throughout the entire season if this was a one-off it would be like yeah, yeah, yeah that's just him just being ziggy but they consistently show these things over and over again for a reason and they want you to think about and identify why he's doing the things he's doing that are so self-destructive and so anti ziggy's best interest because if human beings if we could be counted on for anything is doing the things that best serve us so when somebody does something opposite of that why do they do that like yeah oh no we're that's the, that's another episode um so you have uh mcnulty again continuing to look for omar he goes on the corner jack some corner boys uh tells him he doesn't care anything about the drugs as they toss toss some drugs up when you pull it up when you pull it up and he starts one by one asking for omar and one the first one they basically give a quick glance and then one of them just says, you know, fuck you, officer, and keeps it moving, and the rest of them walk off. Um, as he describes Omar, and there's no way that these guys are gonna give up Omar, even despite the fact that Omar probably robbed all of them that were on the that were on the corner. He probably robbed those dudes. And just, I mean, just a street code in general, they're not gonna he's not they're not gonna talk to police just as much as much as they probably hate, despise Omar. That just shows, I mean, I thought that scene just shows you. You know, reinforce you know the street code of just no of just no snitching, um, of just no snitching. What were your thoughts? I was just gonna say, but what, before you did said the street code no snitching thing, I was gonna say. So then, why does this scene exist in this episode? This is the first scene where I can look in the wire and go, "This is a totally unnecessary scene, totally pointless scene." Like we get, we get all of those things. Season one laid out all of those street code rules for us. We know those up and down, backwards and forwards. We know the Omar character. We know we, we know everything that, that, that was going on in that scene. The only yeah. new piece of information that I got in that scene was McNulty said, I don't care about drugs because I'm not a murder. Like, I don't care about drugs because I'm not a murder. I'm not here for that. So that's the that would be the only new piece of information that any of the characters would have been able to get out of that, or that he's not murder police anymore. But other than that, there was no piece of information. There was no reason for this scene to be there other than I'm gonna put a dot 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 because I have a ending salvo that will that will go with that. Yeah, um, thinking about this, I mean, I guess for me. Um, I guess they wanted to make it a point of how how elusive Omar can be. We, they don't need to make we, that point. They don't, yeah, to your point, yeah, we don't like. Yeah, they spent point, an entire season showing yeah, that. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, this scene was from that standpoint. This scene, you know, they didn't have to have this scene. I can't. But I can, again, I'm looking forward to your, you know, to your point that you made later on about it. But I can't think of it. Yeah, I got to summarize it in the whole episode. Okay. That's okay. Why. Stringer. So we get to we get our first appearance of Stringer of the episode. Um, the package that was recommended to him 
by Avon. The Atlanta package is clearly not working. It's a weak package. There's not a lot of it. So Stringer decides to step on decides to step on the package. And of course, we know what this is going to end up leading leading to uh, for in the future. Um, um, in the future, in terms of of, the, of, the, of how weak this package is, um, what are your thoughts? Yep, this is set up for the future, absolutely, or part, you know, the the beginning of it. So you have Bulk, Rawls, and Freeman. Um, Rawls criticizes Bulk and Bulk and Freeman for how they how they're working the case. They he thought he thinks that they should have held the ship longer. And tells them that you know, if they you know, I, I will give Burrell some. I have. He basically says I have a couple of scapegoats to give Burrell if this doesn't work out. So, classic Ross, you know, it's not. It's not going to be me. It's going to be your ass not on the line. It's going to be your ass, not not mine. Um, do you agree with him in terms of them? In terms of him coming at them in regards to their tactics. Terms of, uh, they, he thought that they should have kept the ship uh, longer. Nope. You're you're thinking like again, again. That like I will I will talk about like the the ep, like I have a lot to say on the overall structure of this episode, but the wire is fairly consistent in this. Um, just like you drew the parallels between the uncles and the nephew, draw the parallel between we have to draw the parallel between uh, Rawls and Bunk and Freeman. And um, Valchek and uh, 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 Sabaka and the the uh, the oh and the third part is the the band that's cruising around the world is McNulty. Um, it, draw that parallel. I wasn't very clear on that, so let me say that again. The reason why Ross shits on Bunk and Freeman is because of McNulty. Okay, he sees McNulty. In the morning, that reinfuriates him. Just like every time Valchek sees that pick his stolen van, <laughs> yeah. he gets more yeah. entrenched on getting, um, getting right. yeah. uh, Sabaka. Um, and so uh, that's what I took from from this scene, and that's why I connected back to that beginning. Um, he could McNulty character um, could easily figure out a different way to get those things he needs from Freeman and Bunk. But the reason he goes to the office is to piss off Rawls, specifically Landsman next. Every time he does that, he hurts his friends. Yep. And that's the connection he does not make. And so, yes, Rawls is on a very surface level being as he usually is, but the reason why he is just on them ad nauseum is because this, of course, is a Jim Nolte special. So you have um, McNulty and Bubble. Yeah, McNulty following Bubbles and Johnny. He spots him uh, getting on a bus. So he, he's, he follows them. Of course, this is a setup for a later scene that, that will play out um, uh, over the course of the episode. Uh, Nick, Double G, and Ziggy. So you have them meeting up at the at the at the deli, at the, at the deli at the Greeks, at the Greeks, of course, own. 
Double G asked for some chemicals, uh, for, uh, for some chemicals by the bulk. Um, and throughout the course of the entire conversation, he doesn't even look at Ziggy. This conversation is directly towards, uh, towards Nick. Um, but he asked for both of them. Yes, yes, but yeah, yes, but the conversation was for, uh, the conversation, his attention was towards, and I noticed, I really noticed it, like he didn't, he didn't, he made no eye, no eye contact with Ziggy. Now he does answer a question, I'm sure, I'm sure reluctantly at the end of the conversation with Ziggy, Ziggy says something and he has a retort to it, but again, even in that, even with answering that question, he looked at, he looked at uh, Nicky, uh, Nick the entire time. Yeah, the only reason I said that he asked for both of them is um, Nick says it in the bar that he wants to see both of us because you did a good turn for him. Yes. So either either Nico's lying at this point, which he's not, um, or Double Double G wants to see both of them. And to your point, you're very accurate. You're very accurate. So why would that character ask for him? Again, this is what I'm asking with this episode and why are things happening the way that they're happening, right? Like when a character acts inconsistent from how they normally act, I immediately go to plot device. I immediately go to plot device. So that's that would be my question. You're one well, right that, how you're analyzing this. the scene. Why would why would that happen? I would say this. I, I think that even though he thinks, I mean, he doesn't think much of Ziggy. He does recognize that this thing that this cape that the. Uh, the heist of the cameras could not have been pulled off without Ziggy. So I think he, I think he does recognize that. Yeah, but you got to connect all the dots to that, Surreal. And this is this isn't even this isn't this isn't a character motivation argument that we're having here. When you like, yes. So now I'm zooming out. I got to zoom out on this. I got to zoom out. Like the character motivations are pretty, pretty clear and pretty. Explain self-explanatory because they're moving the plot to where it needs to be where it needs to be at this point in time which is fine which is fine what i'm wondering is why do characters need to act different from how they've acted so far i know if the character or if like if we're doing what we normally do put ourselves in the name of the character if i think somebody's an idiot and a fool and everything like that I don't need him to be there when I do the deal, especially if I'm going to ignore him and not look at him as you, as you pointed out, like right. those two things don't make sense. He could have easily had that conversation with uh, uh, Nico and then pass that information along and that operation would have went as smooth as fine. Why would I invite that in there? So why would the writers do that? Why would it show this good, this intentional do things like that? Um, that's, those are the questions I have to ask myself. And the very, very simple answer is to move the plot forward, yeah. which is not bad. But again, like I always say, if I'm going to give this show the ultimate props and be validated in that, I can't overlook when they do other things that would undercut, undercut my argument about how brilliant the show is in my, in my opinion. So I'm holding myself accountable on this as well. No question about it. McNulty, um, Bubbles, and Johnny. Uh, he follows McNulty. Follows oh, Bubbles, can I, get, can I say something just really quickly before you get to the scene? Like, right before this scene happened, I was like, I miss Bubbles. I haven't seen Bubbles in a bit. And then the scene, I was like, oh, that's right. So, anyways, 
Yeah. Okay. yeah. So he catches them outside of a mall. Um, and they've shopped, they've clearly boosted some uh, Walkmans. And this and is. Put, uh, there's footlocker bags under there, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they, went, they went to town on this. Uh, uh, mall. So 2000. Maybe no cameras were in there or around in uh, in these malls. But anyway. No, there were definitely cameras around the mall. I'm sure there were. These yeah, guys got footlocker bags. They got, <laughs> they got trench coats on. So they, <laughs> they went to town on this mall. And and what they stole was the, and the thing that they talk about is a disc man. It's like a, a trip down memory lane, man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So McNulty, McNulty sees this, um, calls over Bubbles, and immediately uh, tells Bubbles, you know, look, I need a line on Omar. This is your tag. I need a line on Omar um, before the end of the week, because uh, I'm sure you can't come up with, with, with receipts on these walkmans if you on this on this stuff that you take that you clearly stole it, and. Um, Bubbles, of course, has no choice but to acquiesce. He tosses a big note to your walking and says, you know, this is part of my tax. He's like, no, your tax is Omar. And, you know, I just couldn't help but to think <laughs> of how of how much McNulty has fucked over Bubbles over the course of this series. Like, I couldn't have, like, he, he's used Bubbles to know, like, ever since the first time, they, ever since the first time they've done a scene, how much he's used Bubbles. Now bubbles is wrong for stealing, but I, 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 my, my mind immediately went back to season one when bubbles is trying to get all the drugs, McNulty, the twenty dollars, bubbles, like all this shit that he's done to fuck over bubbles over the course of the series. Now he's basically saying, "Look, I don't, you know, I want Omar, I want Omar, or you know, find receipts, you know, or find receipts for these, uh, for these walk-ins and these materials that you stole." So I, I found that curious. I, just got a laugh out of that, so to speak, in terms of just continuously to emphasize how bad of a person Ted McNulty is when it comes to what he wants, when he wants it. What were your thoughts on this scene? Uh, you said everything. Um, my, 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 uh, I, as you were talking, I was just like, could you imagine if we got like a 12 year old to like watch this show, digital cameras, Discman, they'd be like, what, what, yeah. what is this? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's I it. You said everything. Ten years. <laughs> what? A Walkman. <laughs> what a disc man. Not nah, Walkman. I mean, that's that's just ancient. A disc man. Yeah, this yeah, it was. This is ancient as well, but it's just like, wait, what? So you have Avon, yeah. What is this? You have Avon Levy, the warden, Officer Reynolds, back at the uh, in the prison. Um, they're, um, this is at the beginning of them trying to negotiate a deal to give up Tillman. This is the beginning of it. This is not, this is, this scene plays out, this, this plays out amongst two scenes, but this is the beginning of, of them trying to, uh, of them negotiating the, the deal uh, to take uh, years off Avon sentence. Yeah, set up. Um, you have Nick. His mom and Nick's father, Louis. Um, Nick's mother, you know, Nick Nick comes in the house. She's cooking uh, 
presumably it's been the same meal for like the last 25 years, the tuna supplies. Uh, Nick says, you know, he had a good day at job, had a good day at work, maybe even got some hours. So she tells him to go, you know, go get your father. So we get introduced to um, his father, who's at a bar. And this is, you know, this was a brilliant scene for to just for the to me for the information that they gave you about the direct contrast between Nick's father versus Frank Zabaka. Nick's father's retired checkerman. He's retired, he's chilling. He he is working on a fake gambling system that he never uses. So he's with the horses, he's betting the horses, but he's actually not betting. He's coming, he's at, he has this fake gambling system and he's actually calculated, he's actually calculated over the years how much money he's made that he was, he's up. I thought, I think, he, I want to say, you can correct me, I think he was up like 7,000. I think that was the number, if I'm not mistaken. But he's never, he's never actually made any bets of any kind. It's yeah, like, it's, it's not real. It's, 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 it's a fake. It doesn't matter. It's a fake gambling. Fake gambling system. So, um, Nick says, "Hey, you need to try that down. You need to take that Pimlico and see how see if it see if it works." Pimlico, of course, for all, for all you non non sports fans or non horse racing fans, is is a is a horse racing track that they rate that the that they run the Preakness, which is one of the Triple Crown races on, uh, which I mean, we know how popular horse racing, gambling on horses is. So a lot going on in this scene to me with the contrast of Frank Sabaka, Frank Sabaka versus Louis Sabaka. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it on the head. This is, this is all about contrast. This is all about contrast. Um, Frank's brother is the opposite of him obviously um yeah yeah he, he's just he's the opposite of him in every single way uh so you have Rawls and daniels um discussing the detail Rawls makes it clear that you have to go through me if you want to use my people and um basically just uh, this is his way of uh, flexing because he's he's going to approve everybody Here's a way of flexing to approve everybody with the exception of McNulty. He tells Daniels either McNulty quits or he dies or he drowns on that boat. There's only two ways McNulty's getting off the boat. So uh, Rawls gives Daniels his peoples um, with the exception of McNulty. I don't think, and, and Daniels didn't, wasn't at this point asking uh, for McNulty. Um, and he kind of, and not only that, he kind of, not kind of, he's he's basically an, an, uh, an asshole to Dan saying anything to get you out the basement. So he doesn't know again, but Dan, but you know, Daniels doesn't think much of it. He just, you know, kind of like, kind of like brushes off and keeps it moving. But he, of course, because Daniels does not know, Rawls doesn't know that Daniels is, you know, is on his way to possibly becoming a major. And what he and Burrell have, talk, have talked about, and, it was, and there was no need for him to know it. By the way, in, in Daniels' mind, uh, so he gets his men, he gets his his people from uh, Rawls. Uh, what were your thoughts on that scene? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think the comment. I mean, everything you said was accurate. I mean, I think that comment was more about as they everybody in this this 
everybody at the beginning of this says, this is very thin. And so like, if you're, the comment is more about like, if you're, you're like, this is, this is very thin to go off on. So if you're about real police work, this is a thin thing to come out on, but to the point of like, it gets you out of the basement. Like it gets you back into, back into the, the, the thing. So anyways, I'll say that's more about the case being so stupid <laughs> initially, not being about the actual solving of anything, but a beef between Valchek and Sabaka than anything else. Um, and then, as you said, the other reason this exists here is to, um, is to further let us know that it's going to be very, very hard for Minolte to get on this case, this uh, squad. Yeah, Kima and Cheryl, they're in traffic. Uh, you have, uh, they're in traffic. And you have some frat, some frat guys, you know, being frat guys, one of the, one of the dudes is on top of a car. Uh, and Kima gets out the car, gets out the car, yokes the dude up. And you know, puts yokes the dude up after he refuses to get down. Of course, he didn't know, didn't wasn't aware that she was a cop. Uh, didn't seem like he was aware that she was a cop, and was he was drunk anyway. So he yokes, she yokes him up, arrests him, uh, tells another car to keep it moving. Um, and at that point, Cheryl has a look at look in her eye of disgust because she, of course, wants Kima inside. She doesn't, I mean, again, at this point, Kima hasn't even made a decision. But um, Cheryl doesn't even, doesn't even like seeing that side of Kima as the aggressive police officer, or even as a police officer of any kind. She wants Kima, you know, to be a lawyer. So again, set up for what is going to what is going to transpire uh, later on later on in the episode. What were your thoughts? Yeah, definitely set up. Daniels and Marla. Um, at this point, he has not. To my knowledge, he had he hadn't had no he hadn't told Marla yet. He is contemplating the decision, sitting down watching TV. Uh, she asked him, you know, to come upstairs. So this is, of course, this would this is definitely you know a quick scene, but this is definitely set up for what's going to transpire in the future. Uh, and sir, it was no. And by the way, it was no coincidence that you had Kima and then Daniels going back to back scenes, seeing what direction those characters are going over the course of this episode. Yep, set up. Ziggy, Johnny 50. Um, Ziggy, of course, is looking for the chemicals that Double G wanted. And Johnny 50 lets him know that um, we don't have those chemicals, but we we do know some people that can, um, he does know somebody that does have those chemicals at another, I think at another port um, or another place on the port. So he gives him that he gets, you know, he's gonna give him that information. Um, and then you see, we see a new character that clearly doesn't get along with Ziggy named Maui, who pours, who purposely pours coffee on Ziggy's brand new uh, $2,000 coat. Um, we will see how this relationship plays out over the course of the season, which will be hilarious to say the least. Um, and Maui, of course, and now the reason why he does that, because he clearly doesn't like Ziggy, but he also does because he knows that Ziggy, um, he knows that Ziggy was stealing. So he kind of taunts Ziggy for, uh, st for stealing as well. Uh, what were your thoughts? Um, and this, this actually leads me back to another scene that it was kind of like hidden under, like we got lost in at that, the conversation, the table with, with uh, Zig and Nick and Double G. 
um, and then I'll combine it to him. The chemicals are the key. The chemicals are everything in this. And it's being hidden behind Ziggy's uh, outlandish behavior. But that's, that's what everybody should be paying attention to. That's what everybody, that's what these scenes are actually about. Um, but they're, they're hidden behind Ziggy's outlandish behavior. So you have Daniels and Kima. Um, Daniels convinces Kima to come back uh, to the detail. They both, you know, kind of, you know, kind of get a laugh out of trying to, what they're going to say to their uh, spouse, various spouses, respective spouses. Um, and they joke, they joke basically saying, well, Daniel said, jokes and says, you tell her, you can tell your spouse, I'll tell your spouse, you tell mine. Kima. Uh, and then Kima says, of course, says the, epi- says the epigraph, um, I hear music, I'm going to dance. So she's, at this point, you know, it seems to me like she was waiting, waiting for somebody for, for this opportunity. Uh, she wants to be back out on the streets and we'll, we'll see uh, how this transpires. This is, you know, this is the gang getting back together. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and you said it, and I since you said it, I'll go into it right here because the scene is what the scene is. I mean, like there, there's nothing to add on. But you said the getting the game back together. So, um, what I saw and felt in this episode, I've always seen and felt in this episode. Like this, this is not this is not anything that is new a new thing. Is this is a resetting of the episode, resetting of the table? But the problem with the resetting of a table is that it's episode number four hard to reset the table on episode number four and so that's what forces you to have characters act outside of themselves to get you to the point you need to be that that resetting usually happens at episode number one and in terms of the wires history it does happen in episode number one for some reason this season it happened in episode number number four um, which really, really truncated the amount of time in which they would normally spend on character development. Um, and so, yes, this is all about getting the band back together. This is absolutely what it's about. Stringer, Shamrock. Um, Stringer gives Shamrock, I know I put Avon there, but that was a mistake, it was Stringer. Stringer gives Shamrock um, the spike package um, to give, to give, I'm assuming to give the butchie so that uh, to set up, you know, for, to for, to set up Tillman. Mm, pause, pause on that. Not to butchie. No, he gave. So he okay. So this pack, okay. So because what word does he ask him? Yeah, no, this is what the, yeah. you're right. This is what happened. He he gives Shamrock the spike package to plant in uh, Tillman's heart. That's what happened. I'm out there. Yeah. That's what happened. He says, and this is the key part of the scene to me because we knew that we knew that was coming. He says, he asks Shamrock, Shamrock, he he tells Shamrock to be subtle with it. And then he says, he says to Shamrock, you know what subtle means? And then Shamrock, you know, Shamrock gave a look kind of like, you really asked me this? Kind of like, yeah, uh, you know, know, Shamrock knows what it means. And I bring this up because, again, this is, subtle, we all know, I mean, subtle is not a, not a complicated word by any stretch of imagination, but to this I I I can't couldn't help but to think about what we talked about last episode with the insecurity of Stringer. Like he has he didn't have to say 
he didn't have to sell like I, I I think that that Shamrock obviously knew that not to make it obvious that that you know not he wasn't gonna put the the drugs on the on the dashboard like so I I I, I think this again speaks to the in continuous insecurity of one uh, one string of bell. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll. Uh, there's more coming on Stringer a little bit later. I'll speak to. I'll speak to that point. Um, I think this really, really connects with me to when, when we get to to another scene. We get to the ultimate scene with Tillman. I'll have more to say about this. Then, um, yeah, Bubbles and Johnny um, discussing Omar. Johnny wants no part of it, of course, and rightfully so. Um, but Omar, but Bubbles is like, look, we got to pay that tax. So we got, you know, we got to make this happen. Um, then we go to, then we go to Kimmy planning. And of course, Kimmy is part of Omar's crew. She's working with, she's working with some people to discuss the whereabouts of a stash, planning for, you know, planning for you know her next, not her, but their next, seemingly the, their next robbery and she overhears omar not omar she overhears bubbles asking about omar which we know you know again back to your point about moving the plot um clearly is going to get that's clearly that word is going to get back uh to omar any thoughts moving oh oh i did have a thought on this one. i actually did uh, um I, you know, like how we were talking about uh, last season in particular about how Omar knows the streets so well. Right. Um, I thought this was a great insight on that, like how how they know the streets so well, um, because they're in there with the fiends talking to them. Right. No, like if they like that's that's how they that's how they. Yeah. So it was just like I was just like, oh, that's right. They did give like a little nice tangible piece and again see that's what i mean now now yeah that's what i mean by show don't tell that's what i mean that's exactly what i mean that's the wire right there um because if you blink you miss it but they give it to you right there why do why why do they know the street so well because they know the fiend so well and they're in there with the fiends talking with them that's their magic sauce in being able to figure all these different things out um so I like that piece. I've seen that scene, you know, however many times, but this time with the new eye of what we're, or, or a different perspective on what we're doing, I, it really stood out to me. And then, just as we're talking, that's exactly what I mean by show don't tell. She plays the theme off too, by the way. She gave us some money. Uh, of course, I think it's at the end of that scene. And um, yeah, no, it makes perfect sense in that. Yeah, that that's how they move. That's how they're able to move the way they move. Um, you have Le uh, Levy, Avon, Ward, uh, the warden, and of course Officer Reynolds. Um, this is, you know, of course the payoff of the spike package. Avon tells them that Tillman has a package. Uh, Avon, of course, Levy, of course, is demanding that Avon. His sentence be um, that his sentence be shaved off to one year. Um, now, keep the parole parole here. Parole hearing comes up in a year, yeah. and they're they're going to say um, that he did an extraordinary thing in cooperating. Yes, 
So parole he hearing. never, I found it interesting. He did. Oh, sorry. Keep going. But yes, parole hearing comes up in a year. And the important part about this scene, besides that, is the fact that it kind of was a, it was a, it, it kind of brought you back to season one with the team of shooting. Now, they discussed that, and Avon clearly was upset. That, it, it, it's a, it's a reminder, we saw it in season one too that he was upset, that he was pissed off about uh, Kima getting shot. He, re, he brings that up again, saying that, um, saying that how upset he was that the officer got shot. I mean, of course he lies saying, I mean, he says my name was nowhere near that, but you know, his, of course, you know, Weebay and, 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 and uh, Little Man were the ones responsible for it. But uh, clearly, clearly they reinforced that uh, from that standpoint. And you have Avon, you know, in that scene, negotiate the deal as well as, you know, as well as leaving Avon were working basically like a perfect combo in that negotiation. Because understand this, the, not only do you have five, they don't want any bad publicity as a prison, right? So they had Avon and Le Levy have that leverage on the prison in terms of, you know, you have five, you have five prisoners dead. So, Levy basically presses them, says, "Hey, you can get another five tomorrow if we, if you don't, you know, if you don't give up, you know, give up Tillman, give up who we're going to give up." So then Avon gives up Tillman, and of course, Officer Reynolds, who's been on point the entire episode, says, "One ten to one, or one to ten, that's the motherfucker that spiked the package." But it doesn't matter because they have no proof of that. What are your thoughts on the scene? Combination of the plan, like you said it. So we the, the actor who plays Lee did a hell of a job. Yeah. Um, Valchek and Daniels. Um, so right before Daniels walks in, to your point about the pettiness, Valchek sees another picture of the uh, surveillance van. And uh, Daniels comes in at a perfect time because uh, they, they discuss the... Um, he and Valchek discussed the Sabaka case. And of course, this is going to be a uh, payoff for a third, payoff, not payoff, but this is going to be a setup for a further scene. This was just the beginning of them discussing um, the Sabaka case um, with Daniels. What were your thoughts on, on the scene? It was a quick scene. Very quick scene. That just more setup. Uh, McNulty. Uh, goes again, continues to look for information on the dead girl. Goes by uh, presumably the ho house of a priest, because one, of, you know, I guess one of the one of the sisters were cooking for the were, were cooking for the priest, and um, does not, you know, seemingly does not is not getting is running continuously running to dead ends about this girl. Um, he tells the lady that the girl is dead. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I guess this is this is as good a time as any to unveil unveil this one. Um, so, uh, I feel like this plot point was useless. I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to be a little bit harsh. 
I feel like this plot point was useless because and I know it's useless because it goes nowhere. Um, I've wondered about this for years and years and years. I was like, what, what was the point of all of this? What was the point of all this? And in the mode of we're trying to think about, and quite similarly, like not to just, just come, that, come down on this one, quite similarly, what will happen next season? I'll, I'll comment more on that next season as well, but this is a pattern with McNulty for these next two seasons. We need to find something for McNulty to do until he's back into the game again. Right. And so this feels like this is things for McNulty to do uh, until he's back in the real game. Now, what they want us to think is that they want us to empathize with McNulty, right? Like the entire point now about McNulty is that he's aimless and he needs the police work. That's where we're ultimately going to get to. There's no fucking spoiler there. Um, it just is. Wow. Um, and so, and so um, that's ultimately, so all this is meant to be like, you know, McNulty's just doing something. So he's not on the boat. He's trying to play detective and be murder police again. Yada, 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 yada. Um, but ultimately, it's coming off as McNulty because it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't lead to anything. Um, ultimately, what it's coming off with as is just giving the character something to do. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Oh, nothing, I have nothing to add to that. Um, you have Nick, his, uh, Nick, Amy, and their daughter. They're down at the port. Provide ships, looking at the ships. Um, they get into a conversation about the money. He lies to uh, he lies to her about lies to Amy about the extra money. Somebody he's getting some back pay, um, and tells her that they might be able to get their own place. Something says something small, um, and then her daughter asks about the ships. His daughter asks, his daughter knows the ships. So yeah, he asked her. Yeah, he knows the ships to a T. So again, you know, in consistent with uh in contrast with the Barksdales we saw in season one, Avon talk about D'Angelo's little son saying, Take care of my little soldier. So similar to this, you see already, even at a young age, they they are the even the young kids are warped into this world of stevedores and checkers and ships. What were your thoughts? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, just just how ingrained all this is. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say just really quickly on this scene was um, that it is also, how do I want to put this? Um, it, when you said he lied to her about where he got the money from, yes, because he was, he knew where he got the money was, was wrong. So when you inflate that to Frank Sabaka, that's how you know what he's doing isn't good because he has to constantly lie about it, right? Like that, like, like it, I, it's subtle, but it's there for a reason. And if you draw that connection, that completely undermines that argument, but also it kind of, it kind of frames the relationship that Nick has with with Frank. Like, and to to a broader, like it's it's more clear how D'Angelo feels about Avon 
because we've rode the roller coaster with them over and over an entire season and then on into this season. Um, we're just starting to kind of like pull those pieces apart of the relationship between Nick and Frank. But Nick has a very, he's not bullshitting himself. He knows it's wrong. He's just doing it because he's doing the wrong thing because he needs money. It's wrong. I'm doing the wrong thing. I need money. Wrong. Frank is the one who's, who's uh, deluding himself with all these other things. And we, and to be continued <laughs> where that delusion gets him versus where it gets everybody else. Right. Who's not being delusional. Yeah. Um, Tillman gets Tillman gets busted for smuggling smuggling the drugs. He gets arrested immediately. Uh, so then, so you know, the Barksdales accomplish what they have to, you know, accomplish. You know, mission accomplished from that standpoint. Um, Ziggy, you're the guy. Post. Uh, Wait, pause, pause. I want to go back to that scene. That's Till the scene I want to go to. Right, Tillman right, getting busted. Right. Tillman getting busted. I do want to go to that scene. Um, the actor played the scene great. Um, because until I watched it this time, the other times I was just like, why is he so confused? He knows he was dealing drugs. Like what, like, is he trying, is he, I was he like, why is he so confused? Or I'm like, nobody's going to believe that bullshit. Like you, like, why would you go to, they planted that? Like, like, it just, like, da, da, da. And then while, of course, watch it this time, we've already talked about it. It's like, that's right. This was actually the time where he did have drugs in his car. Yeah, and, it, no, and it made me immediately think, or actually when he didn't purposely bring it into there, and it made me immediately think to like times where I had done things wrong consistently, but the time that I got caught by mom or dad was actually the time I did. I wasn't doing anything. And how out, like how out, like how I was, appalled that they would blame me at this point in time uh, even though I had broke the rules a million times before that uh, that particular rule uh, so that's why I was like he played like when it was, I was like oh he played that so good he played that so correctly because that's exactly how it goes that's exactly you could have done the wrong thing one million times before but the moment you're caught at the time when you're not doing the wrong thing, you are completely appalled and disgusted <laughs> that people will be blaming you of it. I did, yeah. So I, that's why I noticed this time around. That's it. It's so good. He was he was shocked. I mean, he was he was, he was shocked. Like uh, they, I mean, they completely called him off guard. He was like, "What? Like, what?" <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's not off guard. He just, he it wasn't he hadn't brought the drugs in. He yeah. he didn't do it in this case. He didn't do it. Um so yeah, so so it's just, it's just, it's yeah, just really just really well done. Really well done. Um Ziggy uh of course post uh put the uh post a pick on um post a pick on Miley's computer. We'll see what that pick is in a another um in a later scene and you know the beginning of their little Mini war over the course of these uh, episodes, um, and Johnny Fifty's telling them he's going to break you into parts and sell you for and, and sell them if you don't get off his computer. Um, so yeah, that we'll talk about that later. 
Really, really quickly, there's nothing deep in there, but they're starting to plant the seeds of how important those computers are going to play and what they do up there is going to play. So that's what those things are about. Like I said, they're hiding it behind Ziggy's outrageousness, but all those little background details matter and will matter in coming episodes. Yeah, the computers are going to play a major role. Um, Bunk Free and Russell, um, very good scene right here because they go in, they immediately are, are, are identified by the stevedores and the checkers through with whistling. So this goes, they, you know, they stand out and even Russell acknowledges, they said they marked us as soon as we, you know, stepped on base. Then Bunk uh, tries to coerce Freeman, not Freeman, Horseface into coming down to the station saying, let's go, ask questions about the girls. Horseface plays like he doesn't know what's going on. And he said, basically says, you know, well, I heard something that, you know, I heard, I, I heard something without admitting how much he does know, actually knows. So he plays it perfectly, Horseface plays it perfectly and basically says, you know, I'm not, refuses to come with them unless he has his uh, shop store or, or union or lawyer and completely they outwit uh, Bulk and uh, Freeman, and uh, this was again. I thought this was a brilliant scene from the standpoint of how, of what they're used to, hassling young African American men for no, for you know, for reasons and just yoking them up. Versus now you're dealing with dealing with you know some some um, some white dock workers who actually have knowledge, who know their rights, and who have who come who come at them come at them saying like you're not taking us down for no reason. So I thought that was a brilliant contrast by the show with this particular scene. I like that point and then I'll just add on to it. I watched um, The Irishman and uh, the uh, Hoffa this weekend. Um, and so that was all about, of course, um, uh, how important the union the unionization played in, in, in this country in particular in those two stories. Um, and so when he was talking, I was just like, yep. Um, so to, to your point, he, he knew his rights. He knew that he had a group that was backing him. And it wasn't just telling to, to the earlier scene, the cop F you, but this is the reason why you can't do what, what it is that I'm doing. So you're right. Great contrast. We have Ziggy and uh, Sabaka. Frank Sabaka, that is. Uh, Frank goes and smacks Ziggy on the head. For uh, he knows about the cameras. He go well. He finds out this is the first time that they've met over the course of this since they found since Frank found out about the stolen cameras. And um, again, this this is you know what this was. This was like, and we've seen this in education. This was the parent of a student, a troubled student coming in and making a whole bunch of noise, but eventually at the end of the day, not doing shit. That's what I thought about with this scene. Frank comes in, say cheese and all this other shit, smacks him in the head and says, get your ass out of here. Da, 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 da. But ultimately, you ain't, ultimately you're not gonna do shit. Like ultimately you're not, you're not gonna help fix the, the, the issue that that is. Um, you're not doing this, he's making a bunch of noise at this point. It's not like, this is not helping. It's certainly, Correct. There's no purpose, go ahead. 
Correct. No. And then now I was going to connect that with self-destructive behavior, right? That's the surface, right? The slap on the head and all that thing. Now, this is a grunt, like, that's been going on for how many years? Yes, probably forever. Right? So, like, then you have to ask your question, what does that lack of accountability do to a person? Right? If the person who's supposed to hold you the most accountable, your dad, consistently does that and doesn't do that from birth to at this point in your life, what does that do to a person when they don't have that accountability? That's just a quite, qu I mean, we'll, we'll see it happen over the season, but that's a great plot point to follow. No question. Um, Maui sees the, uh, Ziggy's dick pic on his computer. Um, again, quick scene, but this is kind of set up for, for the, it's kind of set up for their, the dynamic of their relationship that will play out over the course of the next couple of episodes um, of the series. Um, Daniels, Valchek, Kima, and Herc, uh, they're back in, they, the Daniels, or Valchek takes Daniels, takes them to the detail, to, to, to their new detail office, um, and they're greeted by Prez. Um, so the gang is basically back together uh Valchek leaves takes him to the you know takes him to the office then then basically immediately leaves uh then you have her basically you know one the recruit saying you know can we get carved on it can we get carved and, and, and what have you so again uh we see the gang somewhat not completely whole but we see the gang basically back together in the, in a brand new detail office we, we know where this series is going now Right. Like, like, even even if I had never watched The Wire before, I would know where the series is going. So, oh, you know the gang is getting back together. They spent all this time setting up these moments for different people to come to come back together. So, you know, you know that you, you see the general way the series is going. You just don't know what the target is yet or the scope of the target. You don't know the scope of the target at this point. Right. Um, yeah, no question about it. And they, yeah, and yeah. Um, so we have Bubbles and Johnny catch up with Omar, or Omar catches up with them. Um, just out of nowhere, Omar. They, so they're talking and what have you. It's late at night, and Omar just flashes out of nowhere with the shotgun. Um, they turn around real quick and soon, like they weren't going to do anything, but any, but Omar, as soon as they made a movement, Omar, you know, had the shotgun and says, you're looking for me, like, you know, snitching, you know, snitching bubs, you're looking for, you're looking for me. And then you, um, then we, of course, we know where that's, where that's, where this is going to lead from that standpoint. Um, any thoughts on that, that scene, which was a quick scene? Nah, this is just set up. Kima, Cheryl, Daniels, and Marla. So at this point, they both told their spouses that they're back in the game. They go through a montage of a dinner in which both spouses are, are so pissed off that they don't even finish the meal. So you have Kima and Daniels who are left at the table by themselves eating as their spouses are just pissed off about them being back in the mix of policing. Any thoughts? Uh, I just, I mean, like, I've always thought this is such an excellently shot scene. You know, like, I'm a sucker for conveying emotions with no words. Um, and 
this conveyed all the emotions <laughs> with no words. Um, it's two, two, two married couples having a a just absolute, you know, this, this, these are the stakes in the ground argument. Like, this is not the, you know, you, you took my favorite, blah, whatever, like little minor argument. These are the for real, real deal arguments. Um, the foundational relationship arguments of uh, who, who I am, what I want to be, what I want to do with the rest of my life. And do you agree with that? And they conveyed all of that with no words. It was fantastic. I've always admired this scene, always. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great scene um, because Daniels and Daniels and Kiva are, are similar in terms of in terms of they they are police officers at heart, um, and also to your point, it's not only this is not only from a Daniels Kima perspective. This is who I am, but from their spouses' perspective, you broke a promise. So both people think, and they're both all four people think they're right. Which makes a great scene. Which makes a great scene in brilliant writing. When there's no real, there's no. You look at this situation. There's no right or wrong answer. Uh, we see both. We we can see all. We can see all perspectives on um, on all four characters. Everybody's right. Everybody's right in in, in certain in this, in this particular case. I, you're one hundred percent accurate. I will say, but because we have all the background information. Uh, in terms of their thinking with Kima and Daniels, the onus of this scene goes on the other two actors who are who are playing, like they have to play backgrounds of you know years of arguments in their head that we haven't necessarily seen as audience members, where right. we have seen uh, Kima's journey, we've seen Daniels' journey, we've seen pockets of theirs, especially uh, what's Kima's wife's name. Yeah. Girl. Who? Girl. Girl. Yes. Whatever. Uh, you hear what you said. But what her day? <laughs> yes. We've seen Cheryl. That's right. Um, we've seen um, we we we've seen pockets of her reaction to to Kima. More more of that than than Marla. Um, but the onus does. So those actors had to do a little bit more heavy lifting in my mind. So none of that negates how good the scene was. And everything that you said was one hundred percent accurate. Uh, McNulty and Elena, they're discussing the separation papers. He signs them, but then says he tells her, "I want to reconcile." Um, she wants weekends as well. Um, so he, you know, says basically he says basically it's not about the money. I I want to get back together, which. Again, you know, typical McNulty, you know, wanting what he wants. Um, any thoughts on this scene? Um, this this scene plays out over yeah no, no. over the over the series. I yeah. mean, over the over this season. Yeah, yeah. I'll come back to this when it's relevant in a few episodes. When it's really relevant, because yeah. he's he's a fucking hypocrite, but. Um, it's not obvious until a few episodes down. <laughs> oh, he's so full of shit. He's uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stringer and Shamrock. Uh, Stringer is studying for uh, studying for a midterm. 
Shamrock walks in, the, the television's on, they watch uh, McNulty, not McNulty, Tillman get busted, uh, get busted, of course, and Stringer immediately turns the t- television off or turns it down or off. I think he turned it off. He turns it off after, <laughs> after, they, after it's like they, they hear that it's successful. Turns it off and continues to go about studying. For- no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. We no, got to talk no, about no, that. No, no, he doesn't. No, yep. no, that, no, this I, is the big part. Yep. No, he does not. It's a huge part. So he's studying for no, so no, He's studying for a midterm. Turns, you know, the TV, he says it to him. He, t- he turns the TV television off. Shamrock walks out. And then we get a glance of Stringer's face mm-hmm. for about 30 seconds, maybe shorter. Mm-hmm. It lingers. The camera lingers. It lingers for a reason. It absolutely does. The camera lingers on his face. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was not a celebration of Stringer. Nope. It wasn't. It was <laughs> the key to that is, I don't think at this point Stringer knew that this was going to what this was going to lead to in terms of Avon's prison sentence. I don't think he knew that Avon. Avon didn't mention that. By the, we, and that's that's what we have to get into this because that's you're wrong. <laughs> it's just that simple. They, this is a co-op. This is a plan throughout the organization. Everybody, this is a plan that Stringer Avon talked about, and Stringer helped execute. He absolutely does know what happened. Because when he tells um, Shamrock to be subtle with it, what he's saying is plant the stuff in Tillman's car so that the cops, so, so that the plan that they discussed with, with, um, with the lawyer and Avon, so that's found, so that Avon can, can pin Tillman. It's all, all of this is part of the plan. And they could not have pulled it off without Stringer knowing all intimate parts of it. There's just no way. Because he had to handle that part of it. From the drugs on and everything, he's had he's had the that this has been the whole point. The whole point is to plant the evidence on Tillman so Avon can finger the guard. Yeah, but does he? Does, does, yes, he knows. Yes, he knows. Yes, he knows. He knows everything. Yes, he does. Wow. Yes, he does. It's not even. It's not even. Yes, it's not. A, it's not even an opinion. It's not anything. Yes, he knows. So. Yeah, he was not. He was not happy. Nope. 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 So now, so now we got now. This, this is actually this is the moment I've been waiting for, and for and for us to really unveil Stringer and everything. Right. This is the moment right here. That camera lingers on Stringer, and you're absolutely right. This should be a celebratory moment. Their plan worked. His man's about to get out early. You know, that's the hope. You know, this is good stuff. Now. Let's fast forward through this episode, or let's rewind through this episode. The product is crap. The muscle is gone. Not even through this episode, through last thing. The muscle is gone. Here's my question to you. What does Avon bring? Outside of his name? Outside uh, of his uh, name. What does Avon bring? And what does Avon's name actually get? So, pause. You think about that. You think about that. So, I say that to say that moment, Stringer, like I watched that very closely this time. He kind of like, so Sherlock rocks out. He puts everything down. He cracks his knuckle and he kind of like looks up. And so, what I got out of that moment was that, of course, Stringer's not happy. We've kind of started outlining our thought process on Stringer. Um, 
many, many episodes ago. Stringer's not happy, and he's thinking about his next move. My argument is this is the moment when Stringer decided that he was going to make the move to, man, (laughs) trying to think. Prop Joe has been introduced. Have they had that conversation where they talk about sharing? No, no. They haven't had that. Okay, all right. Sorry. Uh, So this is the moment where uh, Stringer makes the decision that he's going to make moves apart from Avon. Let's just put it like that. And then every conversation after this will be about getting Avon on board with the moves he's going to make. Um, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a strategy they teach you in management. Um, of course we all know about how you manage people who are under you, uh, your, the people who report to you, your direct, you're their direct supervisor. But there's also a strategy called managing up, how you manage your supervisor or you manage your boss. Um. it, which of course looks very different for somebody who directly reports to you. But the idea is how do I get my boss to do something I want? I have a better project than mine. Of course, my boss is my boss. We're going to ultimately do what the boss says. How do I get them to get to my side and agree with? And there's a lot of subtlety that's involved in that. Again, that word subtle. That's why that word was so important. It wasn't just about Shamrock planning the drugs, but the word itself was very, very, uh, was, was there, placed there on purpose because Stringer has to be subtle with Avon. That's the whole point um, in, in order to get him. But this moment is, in my mind, where Stringer decided, I got to make the moves for this organization, and I got to be subtle getting Avon on board with the moves that I'm making. A big part of that subtle is, is making Avon think he's still in charge when you're actually the one calling the shots or make the boss think they're in charge when you're actually the one helping get the organization to where it needs to be or get to the project or get to the goal that you have identified. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I agree. Like, I'm, and this is, I mean, I'm sure he's thinking this. I'm sure he's thinking this. So, because you have, I mean, you, to be in a position, to be doing what he wants to do for the organization, you have to think this. You have to think forward. The product is cracked. The product is cracked. Yeah, the product is cracked. Yeah, the product is terrible. So, you're going to have to get, you're going to, you're going to. And it was Avon, and this is, Atlanta was Avon's connect. Right. Yes, that's the that's the one. That's the tangible reason why Stringer would make a move. But there, uh, as we know, there's a lot more. Yes. So, yeah. So Stringer, to your getting back to your question about what does Stringer, what what does it mean for Avon to be out of prison? No, 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 no. What? That's not what I said. I said what the what is Avon bringing to the table? Right now, in prison, out of prison, wherever the hell he wants to be, what is he bringing to the table? Right, he's bringing he's bringing nothing besides his name. He's bringing nothing. There you go. And that's why you gotta be subtle with it from yeah. Stringer's perspective. Because Stringer, Stringer you still need the name, yes. but he doesn't bring anything else. Or at least my interpretation of this episode and the events is 
Stringer doesn't the value of what he's what Avon brings outside of his name is not feeling like a lot to Stringer right now. It's not feeling like a lot, particularly with the product being so bad, which is the main thing. That's that's right. kind of the whole deal. It's kind of like everything. No, this this was a this no this was a great scene in terms of like how they studied how they how they uh, how they shot that um, how they shot uh, Stringer as far as you know facial expression. And again, listen, uh, we, I don't uh, know if it's a great scene based on how scene. they shot it, it but definitely scene. Idris played it well. It was yes, it was just Idris made this. He made the scene how he played it, and again he played it subtly. Like it was subtle. Like he. Like you bring and talk about that word, his you know his facial expressions were like, it wasn't like anger. It was just it was like a. Again, even I kill. think twenty five year old us never catches that in a million no, years. No, way. At least I don't. I don't. So it's this is with age though. Like I, I did. I would have had those. I would have had that management comparison to be able to to say things to to put it in any type of context. So. um that's very mature writing that's going on right there. Very mature acting that's going on. No question about it. Um, you have Bunk, Russell, and uh, Freeman. They go down. Now, this is the first time that they've gone down to the checkers, to the, to the bar, Dolores' bar, where the checkers are, the stevedores are. So they're going down there. They clearly send a message that they're not going, that they're not going anywhere. Um, Bunk tells uh, Frank that the dead girls in the can was no accident, um, and this this complete this. I mean, this sets Frank off not publicly, but we'll see in the final scene privately as he goes into the bathroom and basically realizes how deep he is now into this. Like he, I get, I think that reality hit him in that scene, which was brilliantly played by the actor, uh, Chris Bauer, who plays Frank Zabaka at that last scene in the bathroom. Um, he's thinking, thought this whole time that, you know, it was an accident, but they tell him like, no, this, this was a homicide. Those girls were murdered on your docks. And that hit, that hit him, right, and rightfully, so, rightfully so, hit him like a ton of bricks. But so two questions, two things, what were your thoughts on them going down to the checkers place of peace and where they congregate and also Frank Sabaka in that final scene in the bathroom. Um, I don't know what that means. Um, sorry, I was looking at something else. Uh, so the, what was I going to say on this one? Um, it's, yeah, Frank's world is collapsing. You're 100% right because he realizes, of course, they're not going to go away, right? Like, like this is this is a homicide investigation. That's not something that's just going to be like, you know, go away for a second. So that there's that point, and then there's also the contrast of what you were talking about in terms of all right, the the strategy of just like we're going to come in, you're going to come with us didn't work. What I loved of not contrast that was the wrong word. What I love is that then it was like all right bunk was like all right because bd asked him specifically he's like what are we doing here he's like we're just going to show that we're not going away so it's like you know bunk has both they have multiple tools in their tool belt they they, they yeah they, they they're veterans they're veterans for real so like you show how real you are we're gonna up our game and show you how real we are so it's just you know it's it, it was just a nice 
interplay on that, but you're but you're absolutely right. The scene ends with Frank staring at himself in the mirror, and you would think this would be a moment, and this will lead into the thing that I'm talking about in the next either next episode or the next couple of episodes. Because you would think this would be the moment where Frank would have the aha, like, oh, people are actually dying off of this stuff. And the cops are now down harassing, and then and then we'll, like I'll I'll reference again, but just you know the money will speak for itself, and there you go. Yeah, and of course that's how the episode ended. Uh, that final shot of Frank Sabaka staring himself um, in the uh, in the mirror in that in that bathroom in the bar. Um, and similarly, I, I want to talk like the bar. We we talk about the bar. We talked about the, the uh, their bar over the last this past season, and um, contrast that to there are a lot of important things that seemingly happen in that bar, and I, I, I just wanted to kind of like point that out in terms of you know different in terms of various scenes. So I, I think that this. Was no, uh, uh, you know, it's not an accident why why the scene was shot where it was shot. Um, so that uh, yeah, I want to just you know bring that up in contrast to season one uh, with the you know with the uh, Barksdales in terms of not their bar but in terms of I would say their place would be the towers or the pit. We saw some some powerful scenes in the pit in terms of thing you know in terms of things that would. Uh, things that were happening and scenes of uh, important scenes. I mean, important scenes throughout the course of the series, but I, th- I wanted to contrast the pit. The bar is like, you know, their pit, so to speak, for the, uh, for the Trekkers versus the, the pit for like the D'Angelo's and Bodies and, you know, rest in peace, Wallace's other world. Uh, their home away from home, or their home. So it's Wallace. Wallace, yeah. Uh, MVP and Charlie Award. So the MVP was really but I had to go with I ended up choosing Daniels for how he maneuvered during that scene with uh Pharrell. So I chose Daniels as my MVP. Um my MVPs are um the from uh what was the scene that I loved? Uh different work emails that are flying for some reason right now. So it's distracting me insanely. Um, or invites. It's just like, why is this happening right now? Anyways, um, uh, what's the scene that I loved? Uh, between Burrell and Daniels. Burrell and Daniels are yeah, my MVP. All right, Burrell, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I had Daniels and yeah, you're right. You can go Burrell as well. Chardine Award for performance, I had Frank Sabaka. Um, he opened the scene. That was a great scene to open with. I don't think I gave him enough credit at the beginning in terms of how good he was in that opening scene, talking to Nick and trying to sell, sell why, sell to Nick why he was doing what he was doing for. He was great in that scene. And then, of course, he closed it. He closed with the scene in the bar bathroom, uh, the realization that, it was, that those girls were murdered on his dock. So I had Sabaka as the, just the performance award, the Chardin. Enos Award for Best Performance. Cheryl and Marla Daniels. I already spoke to why. Um, yep. Yep. They had to do a lot of heavy lifting with no words. That's that's oh, that's tough. No, that's I a know. beast. That is. You're doing some good stuff right there. Um, so yeah, that's that's mine. 
Yeah, yeah. So that is going to wrap up this edition of The Wire. The Wire we Can I say two quick points? No, go ahead, go ahead. Sure. So, so one quick point is if, if I had to put a 60, this will probably be my 60 episode. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I still think there's way there's a lot to get into with season five when we get there so there might be a 60 before but i knew this episode was coming up and i remember how i felt about this episode and it's fine it's, it's a fine episode but again with the wire we're used to excellence and so that's why i feel so if like as i was watching i was like yep this would be the 60 if 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 it, if it was there but season five is looming season five is looming and like let's let's keep all the way real in, ter- in terms of like the like where it went. So season five is losing, so it might get like in, in, in a, it, that might this this season might, episode might get bumped down, down by by yeah 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 by by episode of season five. But with that being said, say it with that being said, it this it is it is downhill from here. Oh yeah, from like they go I'm they right. go. Yes, yes, so it yes. <laughs> it was a lot of setup. And I get it. I get. I get all the like. I don't push back on why people dislike this season, right. if it's for reasons that we're talking about. But mostly, people I've heard people say dislike this season because there were the drugs in there, and that is what I push back on more often than not. Like if you bring up tangible points, like there were a lot of plot devices and different things like that and you can feel like there's like different like different points and even a ziggy point i can hear that i can hear that um because everybody doesn't want to go that deep on ziggy so i i can hear that but just being like yeah they switch from the drugs that's the part that i always push back on like no then you're not really watching this season if that's your only argument um for why this is your this is your least favorite season um but uh yeah, it's 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 downhill from here. Go oh, ahead. Uh, yeah, the re- the rest of the season is phenomenal. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least because that's what I mean by downhill. Yeah, yeah. Because you have characters the now. Yeah, the yeah. pace. Yep. Just characters go. who are. You have characters. You look at Ziggy. You look at Ziggy and Nick. How how deep they're into it. You look at string. You have characters who are now being forced to uh, to make some moves, and you'll see how that plays out. You know, with Stringer. You know Nick and Ziggy, um, and, and and what have you? Because now, yeah, now you're gonna see. There's a shift. There's gonna be a shift that you'll that will depth that will play out. Uh, so yeah, you had to be patient through the first four episodes. A lot of, like you like to say, yeah. a lot of setup, a lot of introduction to characters, um, new characters, and what have you, new you know, storylines and, and things of that nature. Now you're gonna see things like yeah, the, yeah, the pace will move. Everybody is in their position now. Everybody's yeah. in the position they need to be for the story to just flow. Yeah, and that's that's you know that the the difference between the beginning of last season and this season was last season felt a little bit more natural. This season felt a little this the beginning of this season felt a little bit more forced to get those players in those positions because they made the choice to start with their starting roster on the bench. Right. So, um, so not only did they have to introduce characters as they, of course, had to do in the the first season, but then they had to get the starters back into their original position, back into their positions 
to then make the series, the season flow, which makes it feel a little bit clunkier, the first four episodes, but then which will make the rest of the season go fly. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, no, good point. Good point. And, and definitely, yeah, this, yeah, this definitely, out of, we've done now four plus three, 13, 17 episodes, this, def, this definitely would be 60 for me in this particular episode. I, don't, I didn't hate this episode, but yeah, considering the previous 16, this was definitely, I, I would. And again, we're, we're grading the wire on the wire scale. Yeah, this not, is not, not regular shows. No, not this. Yeah, is, this, this is, is not you know high for most shows, top ten for the, for most shows. But this is the wire. This is the like, F I don't know, <laughs> but but the sixties <laughs> on the wire that was graded it just against itself. Yeah, the wire. Yeah, the wire is competing against itself. That's that. All right, looking forward to it, man. All right, sir. Stay cool. Stay healthy. Stay safe. No question about it. We'll see you next time. Later. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix. We will get this episode out uh, before midnight. Um, before midnight. Uh, rest in peace of John Lewis, a, a whole a whole legend, to say the least, for his work in the civil rights movement and his, his years of service. So rest in peace to him. Uh, stay safe. See you next time. I'm out. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.